Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I think it was about two years ago when I happened to see a short interview with the Icelandic woman on Swedish TV. I don't really remember exactly what the interview was about, but I think it was about sustainable fashion. The woman that they spoke to was described as a fashion designer and Icelandic guide, and that sparked my interest. I wrote her name down, and when I this winter planned my trip to Iceland, I contacted her. Welcome to episode 12 in the Husky International series and a long interview with Katrin Karadotir. My name is Magnus Urmestad and this is the Swedish outdoor podcast Husky. Find out more about this episode and previous episodes at huskypodcast.com or at the handle huskypodcast on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We, we got the coffee, we got the microphones, yeah, we got the dog. The snoring dog. The snoring dog. <laughs> What's your name? Her name. What's your name? My name, Katrin Karodotir, Katrin Maria Karodotir. And what's the dog's name? Vivian. 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 After Westwood. Uh, yeah, actually. But it wasn't me who chose the name, it was my daughter. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. Um, where did you grow up? Um... I was born in Reykjavik, but I grew up in Vík, the most southern village of uh, of Iceland, the one with the famous black beaches. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I grew up there for the first five years, which was perfect uh, for me just to run free. And you know, my sisters didn't like it all that much. I was lost all the time. You know, just. Were you unlike your siblings, your sisters? Yeah, I was. Still am the odd one out. Sometimes wonder if I was like a cuckoo's, uh, cuckoo's uh, little bird, but uh, but I look like them, so no, I guess no, no, very unlike them somehow. I was the youngest and uh, the most adventurous, and somehow I don't know. Is that what your childhood childhood was like, running free? Yes, I, f- I, f- I feel it was, and I remember exactly when was the first time. Um, I was allowed to play after dinner, after dinner time in summer. There was uh, they had been cutting all the grass and putting it all together up the hill, across the house where I lived, and my mom called me in for dinner. And uh, I had hidden in this huge pile of grass, and she was like, "You should come in, come in now for dinner." I was like, "Not unless I can play after dinner." <laughs> <laughs> so I remember that moment specifically. It was. Yeah, no, it was good to to be a kid there, to just kind of, you had all these kind of mind games and uh, I was always planning on on leaving, leaving uh, on my little tricycle with a biscuit in my bag, you know, then it started to get dark or I felt hungry or just forgot that I was angry or something, went back home, it was pretty good. Or my sisters found me somewhere, so... Yeah, no, I, I was different from from them always. Uh, was was nature? Of course, I mean, I can imagine growing up on on Iceland, whether you like it or not, nature is always present. But was was nature? Did nature play a big part for you, like growing up, even in Reykjavik? Yeah, yeah. Um, we you can't moved. escape it. You can't escape it here. No, I mean, <clears throat> I couldn't. But I had this conversation with a colleague of mine from the art. Academy that that she is kind of she so much wanted to get away from this enormous nature presence uh, and she's kind of realizing that she cannot. But I think I've always known that 
I cannot escape this, and un- unless with horrible consequence, I need I need my connection with nature. Uh, in Paris, I did, and when we moved back, when we moved here, uh, I had nightmares because I just didn't want to leave where I had been, but. Uh, Reykjavik is such a city that you can still have it's not very far to get contact with nature many places to hide and get lost also you know so <laughs> that problem was a perfect mix yeah it was a perfect place uh, did you have uh, did you have did you dream of adventures when you were a kid or like a bit older maybe yeah. like the big expeditions and adventures and mountains and always always there was this uh, Monica Christiansen, uh, she was a Norwegian explorer. She uh, skied the South Pole. No. A dog sled. A dog sled. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember there was. Uh, I remember all the photographs from this book. I looked at it so often. And there was this guy. He had this headband. He was on your team, with 90 degrees south written on it. And yeah, no always adventures and I had to um, I had to as a kid uh, don't I need to shut this up no it's okay is it okay yeah they'll fall asleep soon I think Uh, no I uh, I always wanted adventure and we had this system that uh, if you were born early in the year they would uh, test you uh, if you should you know, go to school with the kids that were in the year before you. Uh, I had this type of test, but I didn't feel I should go to school with uh, the older kids, but I should take an art course. And I remember in that art course course that uh, we should draw what we wanted to be when we were older. And most uh, most of the girls uh, drew themselves in a shop or something. and. Uh, and the guys, they had like cars or f- were farmers or something. I was an acrobat flying through the air. <laughs> I always wanted to work in a circus. Yeah, daydreaming and adventures always, since forever. But did creativity, creativity, did it come early to you? Yeah, I did try to escape that because somehow I was, I don't know. I was prejudiced against uh, highly cultural things. Um, somehow there were other people that did that and it was um, some kind of a snobbery to me in a way. I was a, yeah. But but then just as, as life went on, my best friends, most of them became artists. So, and so did I in a way, so, I mean, you cannot really escape who you are, somehow. Is it odd, or is it God? <laughs> it's an odd God, maybe. <laughs> no, it was, uh, no, and now um, I I seek the company of creative people. I don't know, I feel at home with that. Is it a cliche to, to kind of always connect if you look at Icelandic creative people, like working within the, within the creative arts, is it a cliche to always connect it with the Icelandic nature? A cliche? I... Maybe, maybe it is. For me, the connection there is... Um, the connection is that I... For, for fashion, I don't necessarily uh, get inspired by Icelandic nature for my work directly. I think oftentimes it's just, uh, uh, I go to nature to kind of gather myself, uh, to, to find who I am, to, you know, to, because fashion world is really um, super fast and it's not necessarily um, politically correct, it's fantasy and uh, it's highly competitive and it's kind of easy to go there and to lose yourself. So for, for me personally, nature is to get my power and connection with, with uh, what I am somehow. But I know a lot of people do get inspired by nature 
directly. But for me, it's uh, not necessarily so. Unless maybe if I see a photo shoot, it's quite often in nature, yeah. most of, of the time. But colors and such, I don't necessarily take directly from Icelandic nature. Because I can, I, I mean, and now again, I'm only guessing, but I can imagine as a, for instance, as a designer or a creator of some kind, if you are from Iceland, there is a lot of focus on the fact that you actually are from Iceland. If, you know, if, if you were English or French or Swedish, maybe, you know, you would, you would be just a quote unquote designer. But mm-hmm. now you're an Icelandic designer because it makes it a bit more exotic. Don't know. I mean, I didn't. I have didn't. F- I mean, as just as a human being in in Paris when I was living there. I mean, and I guess everywhere at the time when when Björk was really peaking. I mean, yeah. I mean, it was a privilege to be Icelandic for sure. She, she was. She was that important for p- putting it on, putting it on the map. Yeah. In that sense. Yeah, it's as simple mm. as that. And then after that came then Seuros and I don't know. Yeah, you could definitely feel it within the creative industries that being Icelandic because of them was an asset somehow. Yeah. You got really super hip. Well, I wouldn't say <laughs> super hip, but yeah, it, I think it really did help. And I mean, Iceland is just a tiny little island up north. I mean, but I do feel though that uh, the, the, the north is uh, fashionable now uh, in films, in fashion, in all sorts of uh, arenas, and not only Iceland. I feel Scandinavia, you know, just the north has kind of. Mm, the north is the new black. May- yeah, maybe <laughs> you know, uh, maybe I, I I feel there is a, there's an there's more interest in the north. Just to, um, and I, the, I mean, we, sh- we should definitely uh, benefit from that. Yeah. There's also a lot of sustainable uh, thinking and branding and all that, uh, all that type of thing here in the north. And and I could also include maybe uh, Lettland and Lithuania and uh, Estonia in that pool. Finland, you know, it's mm. uh, it's quite nature connected. And uh, so that must be a positive mm. thing that people are looking to 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 us, and I think we should uh, seize Make that sense. that opportunity to influence the. Um, how did you uh, end up in the fashion industry? Oh, <laughs> that's a long, long way. No, yeah, I mean, I connected I, I saw this interview I, I'm not very much into ballet but I really love that ballerina Plietskaya and uh, and it came as she, she had, was talking about uh, her being a ballerina and for her always it always came easy for her somehow even though easy is relative you know ex- extremely high, uh, hard working but but for me I don't know doing things with my hands and doing textiles was always easy for me. I got told off uh, in uh, when I was about seven that I had let my mother do my crochet thing uh, for school when I had did, did it, I did it myself. Mm. You know, it, it was just easy for me. Mm. Then I was a, a very young mother and I was looking for a direction because all of a sudden, because I was not very ambitious as a teenager, I was a rebel, and I just I had one plan in the world, and that was to uh, uh, go on a motorbike coast to coast in America. I got my license. I I gotten uh, a loan signed to buy a motorbike for that for that plan. I was studying to uh, fix engines in small boats so I could gather money for the trip as so fast as possible. So. Then all of a sudden, everything had to change re- change really fast. So I was looking for a new direction, and then it just kind of came to me that this was always easy and and enjoyable for me. I, so I decided to study tailoring, but I had 
hadn't, hadn't really sewn much. And that was also, comp- at that time, it was super po- popular. I think there were uh, almost 80 applicants who applied for this and uh, somehow got in. And then uh, 20, 28 got in and half was cut uh, down, so only 14 got to continue. So that was a kind of like a hard winter. But yeah, that's kind of how that started. And then I wanted to do costumes. And through Europe has got a, this Leonardo program or Erasmus that you can get scholarships mm-hmm. to go. And I went to BBC because that was the most important or the most interesting for me place to go. But I could also go to Paris and have one extra month for studying French. And I went to um, to Martin Sitbon for an internship. And that was just like meeting the talented people there. I just felt, okay, I belong here. This this feels right. I, I don't feel strange here. Other people who were roaming free. Yeah, and also other people who were doing, doing fashion and uh, seeing clothes and seeing people the way I saw them, you know, in 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 a sense. So I just I just felt right at home, and I was so inspired by their talent and uh, the beauty of uh, their work. So I just wanted to be there. So I decided to move to Paris and study you know, to study fashion, but somehow I never felt like like I could be a designer. It was only to be, to learn better about proportion, to be a better tailor. And then somehow um, I became a designer as it seemed like I could do it. So, I don't know. And being a designer at that point, what, what did that, like, what did that mean? What did you do? Where mm. did you work? In Iceland, it didn't mean anything really. Was nobody was that had that occupation? I think there was one one shop that was a they had studied in Holland or something. Two girls with sparks must be added. But apart from that, nobody made a living out of that. So it didn't. It only meant that I wanted to do what I wanted to do, you know. And looking back at it now, it's such a young single mom, it's just a ridiculous plan, really. <laughs> you know, to go to Paris and study fashion, that's just, oh my God, I don't, I don't know. I, it, it seems like a crazy plan now. It kind of worked though. It did, it did work. <laughs> and uh, no, I've never regretted it. And just also learning the language. Uh, French has uh, gotten me a lot of guiding jobs because, you know, they, they are the biggest trackers that visit Iceland. Mm. That, that they buy uh, the backpacking trips and the and the tracks and also tri- trips in Greenland. Mm. So that has given me a lot of interesting work also in that arena. So, but you've been you've been working for like Christian Dior, John Galliano. Uh, I was uh, I was an intern there for for uh, some months and then I was an assistant designer there. Uh, for um, for a few months also, but yeah, uh, I learned uh, a great great deal of things there. But uh, yeah, no, no, I think that opened up uh, a lot of uh, things for me. And uh, I was working with this uh, Danish designer. Her name is uh, Anja von Krag. I was assisting her uh, at the end, and she kind of specialized in 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 volume. And I learned a great deal there. So uh, working directly in fabric and on a mannequin uh, kind of became my trademark for a while. Um, so so that was a that was a great time and just to to be in a company with uh, endless possibilities. You know, working as a designer here, like for my students today, is like they have to make do with what they have and maybe gather a little extra. But I think that also can, you know, bring a lot. And mm. it's probably what we are looking at in the future also, trying to use more local mm. uh, resources. So. Uh, <clears throat> didn't you ever feel like you had to, 
like choose one path like did you did you at this point consider not working with uh with the guiding stuff but like okay so now i live in paris and i'm a fashion designer <clears throat> yes of course and uh, i have worked with people that kind of wanted to or they worked for people that really uh, wanted me to to choose but i just uh, maybe i didn't get a possibility that was tempting enough but uh but i always felt this was uh out of the question i don't know how i cannot really see how i could uh, work only in fashion unless i would have a super great job and take months of vacation you know <laughs> to have my personal but i never had that financial support to do that but otherwise yeah i mean i would have been able to work in fashion and take three months of vacation in the mountains for myself but i, I need my time in nature for sure a lot of people do go crazy in in the industry you know and i think i would be one of them <laughs> true <laughs> Um how do you go about becoming a becoming a guide? Oh. Because that started early as well, you told me yesterday. Yeah, well I um started in a, up in a rescue team uh as when I was a teenager, seventeen and and um I did my my first training there. And then as it happened, um I, I continued to go to the mountains and when when tourism was very young in Iceland, there was a like a boom, and people needed guides and somebody that knew something about surviving in nature and about Iceland and hiking, and also spoke some French. I was just pretty much just Shanghai into the business at that time, and all of a sudden I was doing a trip. It was a very simple trip with very small little hikes, and and then. You take courses, and then I went to the guiding school, and you know, so that just kind of came gradually after I even did my first trip. But at that time, we didn't have the same rules and regulations, you know. Today, this is not really possible. But I've been guiding for for fifteen years now, so. But I'm still, uh, I'm still learning, and I'm, you know. Now I'm going to, uh, for the second time, for the wilderness uh, first responder, which is now uh, required to do any of almost any of the trips that I do now. It's like a 10-day course just on first aid and and that type of thing. That I have to renew my license for that every two years, and also for the for the glacier guiding thing. You know, you have to be able to get people out of a crust. Crevasse within you can't a certain just leave time. them behind anymore like you did before. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's uh, it's out. It, it's not allowed anymore. <laughs> no, but uh, rules and regulations have kind of um, changed a lot. But I think it's I think that that is really a great thing. Um, because tourism also is is booming. It uh, is on booming. Iceland. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, it's just a matter of time when somebody's gonna have an accident on a glacier we've been you know i just want to make sure it's not on my shift you know and, and i work for a company that is quite ambitious for that and kind of a leader in that field so so constant training is uh is uh necessary you know what does your own spare time look like when it comes to uh, mountain related activities <laughs> mm. Maybe a bit like my work, <laughs> in a way, you know. Uh, I like cross-country skiing, and I also uh, enjoy very much backpacking. Backpacking is maybe, uh, it's those are trips that are not selling as much as the easier ones. So uh, backpacking would definitely be a, a spare time uh, activity. Also, uh, where I can stop and fish uh, itself. In uh, my stepfather, he he brought that kind of into the family, and I've been fly fishing since I was 13 uh, with him. So if I get a chance to 
a backpack in a where I can where I can uh, fish for trout. I think that's beautiful. You with a nice <laughs> friend and yeah, that that would be a something nice. And uh, fishing with my family, of course. You're also uh, hunting. Yeah, I, I'm not Iceland's biggest hunter, but <laughs> but uh, somebody had to step up when my stepfather couldn't uh, hunt for Christmas anymore. Somebody had to step up, and there was no man in the family, <laughs> only sisters. Uh, so yeah, I I tried to hunt for Christmas. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Um, what inspires you? Ooh. Uh, people inspire me greatly. Uh, art and all sorts of beauty wherever I can find it. Um, I don't know, colors and, and kindnesses. I, I don't know, I, I, bravery. Uh, of of uh, people and and animals, all these type of things and inspire me. Life pretty much, you know. And uh, I greatly admire people that stick their neck out for uh, for others, for instance. And, but what inspires me for for fa- a fashion collection is not necessarily the same as. There is always a crossover, but but. But fashion has got this, um, it's a rebellious thing, in a way. Uh, and it's got this, uh, a little bit of decadence in it, or maybe sometimes a lot, you know, which I find interesting and amusing. But, uh, and that's got, yeah, that's something that I don't, um, I don't find in, in nature. I mean, animals are not really decadent, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a human kind of a. Except for the snoring dog behind us, not maybe. Yeah, <laughs> she's a cutie. She's old now. <laughs> what um, what scares you? Oh, what scares me? Um, I I would I probably I I am I'm scared of uh, people. That is. Uh, the 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 cruel the the cruelness that people are able to to show I, th- I find that is quite scary large amount of people like many many people and chaos I would that would scare me definitely um, n- I th- I think madness scares me you know I think that's also why I I I, I feel like I need nature I, I I have never been able to take drugs or anything like that because uh, I need I need to I don't know um, losing control of, of 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 yourself of myself or not like as in control that I have to kind of control anything but everything it's just uh, just to to stay in my core. Because otherwise, nothing is going to make any sense. Does that connect anything to uh, like working uh, as a guide, for instance, or be- being out in nature in, in isolation? How how you uh, how you handle fear in those situations? I very much feel um, uh, in my natural habitat in in nature, isolated. I I feel that is a normal state somehow, and. Um, and I, f- I feel uh, when I felt fear in that kind of situation, especially uh, here and in, in Greenland, where I've spent most of my time, I, I just feel it would be an I, I belong here. I, I am those mountains too. For me to die here would be normal, somehow, in a strange way. And uh, 
So I, that doesn't really scare me, but I do admit, I mean, I, I, when I go to bed east of Greenland, knowing polar bears are in the region, I do think about it with my gun in my tent, you know, that one, one night I'm going to wake up with a sound of <laughs> somebody's just ripping up my tent and there's a polar bear grinning, you know. So that, I find that a bit scary, but, but then it's just a choice. Do you want to go there or do you, do you not? And what are, what are the odds? And the odds are in my favor. They're not really looking for me, you know. So, yeah. You remember the first time coming to Greenland? Yes, I do. I will never forget it. It was a, it was a glorious moment. We, uh, we, we flew over the, the East Coast and um, we saw all the peaks and we were flying, flying in to Narsasuak. And just to see all the icebergs and uh, the mountains directly kind of uh, falling into the sea. No, I had tears in my eyes and goosebumps. I was really moved. It was a truly a majestic and glorious uh, sight. And I still feel, feel that way when I, when I see it. It is incredible. Incredible. Absolutely. Um, I did wonder where the hell I was going to hike because it just seemed like it was not possible to walk anywhere it just seemed so steep and uh, the granite is quite different from from Iceland uh, how it kind of forms towards the sea also we often have like flat lowland but the granite seems to kind of fall directly into the sea oftentimes so that is quite different but uh, the the smell of the flora is exactly the same almost everywhere that I have been so it feels like home with all that smell of uh, of uh, the of the flowers and the vegetation but then the rocks they don't smell the same and the sea doesn't smell the same because if one of the first thing I noticed in in Narsuswak I went down to the harbor and a boat was coming to get us and the sea smelled so different but that's uh, later I just realized it's because the, the fjords, they are so, so deep and there's so much ice melting into them. There is so much uh, fresh water in it. And there was actually close by there in a little fjord that was full of little icebergs. A horse came and took a sip out of the sea. This does not happen here. It's so salty, you know. So that is quite different, quite different. But... Uh, with 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 Greenland, you also have the like human culture in a in a different way as well with the Inuits. Is that um, something that you uh, are interested in the the human integration into that? I find I I find uh, the Greenlanders uh, immensely uh, interesting. I f I feel there is a great gap and their culture is very, very different from ours. And uh, the thing is that I can talk with them a little bit in Danish, but so many of them don't speak Danish. And uh, no, I feel very curious and their sense of humor uh, seems to be quite uh, cool <laughs> and cold and, you know, dark. <laughs> he got uh, eaten by a, a polar bear. Uh, <laughs> Not only yeah, yeah. jokes about. People. No, but they have all. Uh, yeah, they they got <laughs> scary stories, very scary, uh, folkloric stories. Um, and no, I I find them immensely uh, interesting, and I would like to uh, I would like to know more. But my time that I spent in Greenland has mostly been in the mountains, so I kind of go there to get get uh, supplies and things like that. We go to the museums, they have interesting museums uh, in Tasilak and then there's another one, uh, a small but quite interesting in Kulusuk by now. Uh, but you could probably hear that I mostly speak of the East Coast, but that's where I spend most of my time. Um, but um, yeah, no, very interesting and I would like to know more. And just also the, how mysteriously uh, they are non-related also between themselves. People just think that this is one 
one people kind of thing and they they don't even necessarily understand each other between the east coast and the west coast and things like that that people are people don't always necessarily know i mean they're less than 60,000 but the but the size of of greenland is just so immense you know but now very very interesting um it seems like you have like one one foot in the in the very modern society within fashion but also one foot in the in the more timeless and ancient society when it comes to like nature and so on are you ever worried for a modern society constantly i th- i am i am absolutely sure we're on the wrong track and that we are that we are moving really fast uh that being said, I mean, I'm a big fan of Hans Rosling also. That I I do believe that there is a balance to be found. But uh, it does. I I think uh, it's possible that we will kind of find solutions to our problems, but uh, it will not be without effort, and we're gonna have we're gonna need a bit of luck also. Because uh, the as he, as he says, and I had been thinking before that, I think um, shifts, um, big shifts in in, in conditions uh, can be very dangerous, and, uh, and uh, we have to be careful, uh, especially just uh, in how we're going to share this planet and to avoid the war and things like that. Uh, I mean, because because fashion could could definitely be a, a quite like clear symbol for like consumerism and so on. Is that something that you uh, worry about and think of? And a lot, yeah, I do. Um, the way um, because I because uh, if you look at the fashion history, it's so recent that we have. Uh, come to believe that uh, an outfit or a piece of clothing is something that you should be able to come by easily and cheaply. It's just a com- completely new concept. And uh, I think we have to, um, I mean, it is not, uh, clothes are not something that you should uh, buy like food, you know. You, you have to think about it because whether it's being synthetic, it's made from oil, uh, fossil, uh, fossil oil, and then uh, then natural fibers. They are not endless, and it does cost a lot of. Uh, it does cost nature a lot to produce these fibers for us, and as more and more people uh, want uh, what we have normally, and why should uh, why should uh, so such few people have uh, all the luxury and the other ones not? I th- uh, I think we have to be aware of what we are doing. Uh, if all Chinese people would have two pairs of woolen socks, it would uh, need all the wool fibers that we have on supply in the world. So I mean, we have to kind of. Consider these things, and uh, I just don't see the point. In I mean, I don't see the point in having tan black dresses that I never even liked when I bought them. You know, so I mean, having few things, and then also I mean, I sometimes I when I read articles like if you have a piece of a of a garment or piece of clothing that you haven't used for six months, throw it out, give it to charity. I mean, we cannot always assume that other people are going to want our rubbish, you know, that for us to buy uh, clothes that we don't particularly like ourselves, wear one time, hand it down to other people, maybe they want to choose their own, you know. So some people cannot really buy stuff, but the the... The amount the Western world is sending of clothes to Africa, I mean, and it's just piling up and piling up, and and now it's just 
uh, a lot of textile is being torn up to be put into isolation for cars and but we're going to run out of use mm. for this you know because it's it uh, the market uh, is just getting bigger and bigger and uh, in in America for for instance uh, the average american buys around 60 garments a year it's more than one a week i mean what is this you know like we said yesterday, somewhere along the way, someone is, is going to have to pay for that. Oh, somebody is paying for that. Yeah, yeah, nature is paying dearly and greatly. And uh, with the, we, we saw the accident in Bangladesh. And uh, now that the conditions are... Like we, we were able to get super cheap things from, from China. Uh, China. China's economy has, has gone up. People want to get better salaries naturally you know so their standards are going up but then we move over to Cambodia and uh, other countries but in the end I mean nobody wants to live in those conditions and I don't think for I don't think uh, it's not uh, it's normal for for the few sitting in the western world to buy rubbish and uh, we because we always want to buy cheaper and and the clothes didn't used to be cheap, you know. You just paid a decent price, you know. It takes it takes uh, resources to produce uh, wool, and then somebody needs to cut the wool of the of the sheep and make the thread and weave the fabric. And but somehow people all of a sudden think it's normal to buy a a woolen jacket for thirty dollars, and it just doesn't add up at all no matter how you look at it, it just doesn't add up so somebody's bleeding and most most likely it's the people at the bottom of the chain that are bleeding i mean if uh, if the companies didn't make profit they would stop making it so they are making sure that they get their profit so they are getting profit somebody else is paying dearly that's for sure um to be to be very like prejudiced and and, uh, and and judgmental in a way, uh, like working as a guide, mm-hmm. would I think most would would consider consider that to be a classical like male oriented profession, yeah. and and working within the fashion industry would be considered to be a more of a female type of profession. Do you enjoy like building bridges like that, like um, kind of playing what what people? suspect or expect <laughs> when i f- realized that i was uh, moving into puberty and becoming a woman no matter what i would do i just couldn't believe when i realized what kind of a path society had planned for me how was that even possible to just assume that i would go this direction no yeah I mean uh, for me uh, it, that was really shocking um, to realize that this this was that, that there was actually a plan for me and it was a really boring plan I felt at that point so I had uh, long hair I cut it short just to kind of prolong the the period when I could just be me without being Either way, you know, because I, I mean, I don't want to be a man. I don't ever, I really enjoy being a woman, but I don't think we are always getting the the, the fun part in life, you know, like, uh, and also when I was a young mother and uh, me and my my uh, my child's father, we were a couple for, for some years and we would go to... Uh, my mom's summer house and all of a sudden I realized that things had changed. Now he was supposed to go fishing and I was supposed to be home with with, uh, with my daughter and I just didn't understand how, because it was me who really enjoyed fishing, he didn't enjoy it that much, but even my family felt it should be like that. And yeah, I believe that that has affected my life and my choices in life greatly. Yes, I do. I have I have to admit it. I I just to uh, just to realize that I was expected to to 
do all the cooking. I don't. I, I'm a decent cook, but I don't really enjoy it, you know. And I also think, uh, for instance, Sweater, my uh, uh, my boyfriend today, and my partner, he enjoys cooking. I don't really. Why should I do it? It's just, it's weird. Yeah, and and to also, I think it was very challenging to. Yeah, I had to do a lot of things because I was supposed to not to be able to do it. I really do. And as I said, I've been uh, in the in the school for um, Icelandic. Uh, what do you call them? You know, f fishermen. Well, to learn how to control big ships and boats and to fix engineers, uh, engines. I was in that school when I uh, got pregnant. And uh, there was this, I was the only girl in the school and we had, uh, we were on this boat and it was a rescuing kind of a course. And I know that I sometimes freeze when I'm supposed to jump off really high things. And I just felt the pressure of, on me to and not freeze and do something, you know, wimpy. So, uh, no, and, and also we had to do, uh, we had to, um, we had, were blindfolded and we were uh, practicing rescue in a, in a fire conditions, under fire in a boat, when you have like this uh, scuba diving equipment on your back and you're blindfolded and the heat, the wall, so you, mm. They play all these type of tricks with you and have the exposure to fire while that. And I knew that people would often get claustrophobic and uh, and scared during during that. And I felt it was super important that because I was the only woman in the school, I would not panic. I felt the weight of the world on me for that. <laughs> and also during math classes, also because the teacher used to take us up to the blackboard and I was never really interested in math but I was super in this class because I was presenting all women and if I would fail we would never get a chance <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it has it has um, affected my life and and bit bridges yeah yeah but as as I get older I don't think about this so much anymore um, Maybe I don't have to, you know. You know, there are a lot of uh, Icelandic uh, women guides, very good guides that I respect greatly. And uh, mountaineers also. Uh, so I don't feel that I have to prove that women can do this. Not here, you know, but I, I of course, I mean, this is just beginning around the world, okay. you know. And in fashion, fashion has been male-dominated in in a lot of ways. Still, you know. So, uh, oh, but I'm more relaxed about it now. You know, I don't feel like I have to prove so much. At what stage are you now in life? Mm. I don't know. I now that um. Now that I've been a guide for 15 years, I'm at the stage where I feel like I always have felt that I need to step up my game. I feel like um, I need to uh, challenge myself uh, in all areas of guiding, really. And as a director of fashion studies at the Icelandic Academy of the Arts, I really feel I need to step up my game. I have to do a lot better. And as a fashion designer, it's the same, you know. I, I have never really felt uh, that I was there, you know. And I don't think I ever will. It's always like a, something to improve or, you know. At some point, I mean, uh, maintenance uh, might seem to be the choice. But the way the world is moving, you know, I don't think so. I mean, there is always more and more you know the the demands are always higher and higher and, but I think it's also uh, as a person you know I just think that I 
will never feel like I'm there. You know, as a, I need to be a better person. Uh, I want to, you know, improve myself. The journey never ends. No, it, <laughs> I don't think it will. And you know, I, I will. I'm probably, I'm very likely to become the kind, kind of an old person that needs to prove that old people can do stuff. <laughs> I can see that coming mm -hmm. already. Mm -hmm. <laughs> My daughter has seen it coming already. That uh, aging doesn't have to be a, a bad thing. Uh, I'm enjoying it already. I'm not really old, but uh, I'm already enjoying it. So, so that that will definitely, yeah, yeah, that that will be that. I mean, if you've seen um, advanced style, you know, do you? Do you know that? No. It's this um, blogger. Or, yeah, he started blogging about elderly women, mm -hmm. extraordinary women, with a, with a great style. And it kind of has gone viral. And it's, there's a movie now and <laughs> books and stuff. And uh, I think that's a great inspiration for, for some time. Uh, the, the admiration of youth totally kind of took over. But... I, f I feel like uh, my generation uh, is not going to accept that, really. You know, it's like we are not going to accept to get out of style. So we're going to fight for that too. <laughs> 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 but that's a really fun challenge, you know, just to at some point go full-blown eccentric, really. <laughs> Rifle in hand, fishing rod in hand. Yeah, 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 the, the, the works, really. <laughs> You know, and uh, and I had uh, this this uh, when I was a teenager at school, uh, we were supposed to predict the future of each other. Uh, this is probably when we were fourteen, and my classmate they did uh, foresee that I would be on a isolated house in a rocking chair with a shotgun in my on my lap like uh, you know uh, the 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 grandma of the dalton brothers that's kind of how they saw me and i was really shocked but i i kind of get it now <laughs> i will have a mannequin back you know at, at the back and i will sit on the porch with my gun and my dog probably <laughs> Uh, thank you so much for taking your time. Oh, so well. Spin your passion into a business of Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.